In the wake of the horrific and unprecedented terror attacks of October 7th, life here in the Holy Land has changed. The fellowship has been working nonstop on the ground, providing for the thousands of lives that were devastated that day. And the fellowship's millions of friends around the world have shown their love for the Israeli people with the prayers and with their support, making our work possible. But what gets lost sometimes, especially for those who are not here in Israel, who maybe don't know someone who was affected by the attacks, is that these were very real people who were attacked, who were killed, who were injured, who were taken hostage. These were grandparents, babies, mothers, fathers, children. These were people's children who were ripped from their lives here in Israel. So today I've invited a very special guest to the podcast. Rachel Goldberg is a wife and mother living in Jerusalem. She was raised in Chicago, just like me, made Aliyah in her adult years, just like me. And her 23-year-old son, Hirsch, was one of the many of the hundreds of hostages taken by Hamas terrorists on the morning of October 7th. Since that morning, Rachel has tirelessly, endlessly, prayerfully worked to help her son and to help the hundreds of hostages being held still now in Gaza. With a mother's love, she has spoken out even at the United Nations. And today, I welcome Rachel Goldberg to speak with me about her son, Hirsch. Welcome to my podcast, Rachel. Thank you so much, Yael, for having me. And I love talking to someone who has a Chicago accent like I do. <laughs> <laughs> it's comforting, right? We're all kind yeah, of it feels like Midwest forever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have been um, in the past three weeks, what I've been focused on, people are focused on watching videos of the day of the attack. And I've been focused on seeing the victims at the highlight of their life, learning about them during those positive, beautiful times about their families and siblings. And I want to get to know Hirsch. Could you tell me about Hirsch? Sure. So Hirsch, uh, first of all, Hirsch is my eldest child, my only son. He just on October 3rd turned 23 years old. Hirsch has always been a very curious, smart, funny, but not like hysterical clown kind of funny, more like a sharp, uh, cynical, but not mean kind of funny um voracious reader curious about the universe about the world about people um always uh has been obsessed with geography since he was a little boy and with travel and even starting in first grade said i'm gonna travel the whole world one day and and he has been you know when he would have a birthday and get you know five dollars from his grandma he would put it he had like his secret stash for his world tour that he was going to take. Um, and he has been working and saving for many, many years. He actually um, has a ticket to go to India on December 27th. That's mm -hmm. when he was going to be starting his world uh, trip that he said is going to be at least a year, um, but maybe two. He, um, he loves music. He loves um, music festivals. He actually went to uh, Europe this summer to six different countries. He spent nine weeks backpacking with a teeny tiny backpack. He's not a materialistic person. He's very low maintenance, low key. And he went for nine weeks by himself, made tons of friends everywhere he went. 
wanted to meet people and talk to people and just made tons of connections. And, um, you know, he was, uh, he was very excited and I'm sure I'm hoping that first of all, I'm hoping that Hirsch is alive mm -hmm. and hoping that, um, where he is that somehow he managed to get the care that he needed. I'll tell you, you know, when you want me to explain what actually happened to him on October 7th. Um, and I'm hoping and praying that one day Hirsch will be able to take that trip that he's been dreaming of since he was in Mrs. Carlson's uh, kindergarten class in Richmond, Virginia, which is where he was living when he was that age. Um, and that he'll just take that trip without, uh, without, He'll be uh, one arm short, but so let's, be able let's to go to there. It sounds like this is um, a big part of the reality now that you're facing. Right. If you feel ready for it, um, tell me about that day on October 7th, what, what you heard, what you know, the last you heard from him, what you saw. Okay. So maybe I'll start just Friday night because that was the last time that we saw Hirsch. We went um, as a family uh, Hirsch, I mentioned, is my eldest, and then I have two daughters. One is 20 and one is 17. And the five of us um, went to synagogue Friday night. We always go um, to synagogue Friday night. And then we went to friends for um, our Sabbath dinner and um, just had a great time. It was just like a great, comfortable, good dynamic, three families together, a bunch of kids. And at 11 o'clock at night, he said, he had told us beforehand that he was going to leave um, and go pick up his best friend, Honor, um, and they were going to go do something fun Friday night. And we knew they would be camping out somewhere. We didn't know where. So at 11 o'clock, he kissed me. He kissed John. He hugged our hosts. I noticed that. I thought, oh, what a good boy. What a sweet and, boy. Yeah. Right, sweet boy. And, um, and he left. And that was the last time I saw him. And then Saturday morning at 7.30 in the morning, I was sitting having a cup of tea. My husband left to go to synagogue. I was going to go a little bit late. but um, And um, I'm having a cup of tea. And suddenly, close to 8 o'clock, the bomb sirens start going off in our neighborhood here in Jerusalem, which is a bit unusual. So I ran to wake up my daughters um, and to get into the bomb shelter that we have in our apartment. And, um, we waited normally the protocol is you wait 10 minutes when there's a bomb siren. And if you don't hear any explosions or any commotion, then you can come out. So we came out and I ran to get my phone, even though normally I don't use my phone on the Jewish Sabbath, but because I was scared that Hirsch and honor were camping out somewhere. And I knew that there were rockets falling somewhere, um, you know, in that, in that situation, of course, you would turn on your phone. And I turned We've up. all done that so many times that there's even right. this feeling like, okay, I need to check on where my kids are. I need to check on where my family is, but I'm sure they'll be okay. Like for anyone that's lived in Israel, so many times you've had to check in on your family. Right. With right. this feeling of, I need to check on them. I'm worried, but also feeling of this right. always happens. I'm sure they're fine. And I, and I really was sure I would just turn on the phone and I would call him and he would say, I'm fine. Yeah. Um, and I turned on the phone. It was about 8.20 and instantly um, two WhatsApps popped up on the screen before I even got to, you know, the screen where I could call or do anything. They had both popped up consecutively at 8.11 in the morning, which was just a few minutes before. The first one said, I love you. And the second one said, I'm sorry. 
And so as soon as I saw that, you know, my throat closed, my stomach clenched up because it was just so ominous. And I knew wherever he was, something terrible was happening. And I tried, obviously, you know, right away calling it rang and rang. I wrote to him, are you okay? Tell me you're okay. Let me know you're okay. You know, none of those have been read. Um, and we ended up piecing together over the next 48 hours, what actually had happened to Hirsch and Honor. Um, you know, we had this group of angels descend on our apartment and help us and never leave us even right now, you know, Yael, when, when I was walking in, you know, you were talking to part of the team because they, they never leave us. And um, what we piece together is that when the massacre first started at the music festival that Hirsch and Honor had gone to, we found out they were at the music festival, which made sense. Honor was a talented musician. Hirsch had just gone to these six festivals in Europe. I mean, that was just like their cup of tea. Yeah. So um, when these um, terrorists came and started mowing down people, they now know the number of young, you know, we're talking about like young, happy, peace-loving, crunchy, granola, hippie sort of types. Um, they, um, they said now there are close to 300 bodies that they've recovered who were massacred at that music festival. Hirsch, Honor, and two other uh, young people ran to a car when all of this shooting was happening, and they got in the car and started to head north. Unfortunately, Hamas had blocked the road and was, as each car was approaching, was using submachine guns and just killing everybody at point blank range who came close to them. And there were rockets falling also at the same time. So this whole line of many cars of young people, everybody flung their doors open and went running out of their cars to roadside bomb shelters that they have in Israel and the South, because there are often rockets being shot from Gaza. And so the young people that Hirsch was with, there were 29 total, they mashed themselves into this concrete small bomb shelter, windowless, uh, reinforced room, but with no door, there's no door. Um, and Hamas started to close in on this bomb shelter. First, they were tossing in hand grenades which Honor Shapira, his best friend, was standing in the doorway and kept picking them up and throwing them out and picking them up and throwing them out. And every eyewitness we spoke to who survived uh, said that they walked out of there and they are alive today because of Honor Shapira. Um, Hirsch was mashed toward the back just because they were all in such a big clump. Uh, three of those um, hand grenades did get by and detonate inside this small space, creating a lot of carnage. And then Hamas came right to the door and they actually shot an RPG into honor because they were so angry with how he was repelling their plan. Here's this kid who has no defense, nothing. He just hit his hands and that was it. They shot him um, at point blank range with an RPG and then they came in with machine guns and just were spraying the room with machine guns. So most of those young people were killed right away and um, a lot were severely wounded. And some of the lucky ones were crushed underneath the bodies and could pretend to be dead. Um, so it's from those people who we got 
the eyewitness accounts of what happened, which is after a couple minutes, the dust settled in there. There was a lot of smoke in the room and Hamas gunmen came in and there were three boys slumped against the wall. Hirsch was one of them and they ordered them to get up and come outside. And it was when they stood up that the eyewitnesses told us that Hirsch's left arm uh, below the elbow had been shot off um, and that he had somehow fashioned a bandage or a tourniquet wasn't clear, but they saw that he had something wrapped around his arm and uh, they were put on a Hamas pickup truck and driven toward Gaza. We saw Hirsch's last phone cell signal was at 1025 AM on October 7th, Saturday morning. Subsequently, just strangely, um, not that it added necessarily any new information, but uh, the American press has been very interested in this. Hirsch is American, we're American. Um, as you and I both, we have strong ties to Chicago. Both of Hirsch's grandmas live in Chicago. His aunts and uncles and extended cousins all live in Chicago. We actually pay a lot of taxes in Illinois. Um, and um, there was a lot of interest in this story, I think, because we were, you know, we're American and also because Hirsch is sort of a face that looks, he could be anybody's son, brother, nephew, you know, friend. Um, and Anderson Cooper was interviewing us for CNN. And when we finished the interview, he actually called us and he said, have you seen any footage of Hirsch since that day? And we had not. And he said, I have a video of your son. And he had come across a video of Hirsch because he was doing a documentary about the music festival. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a lot of research in that area. And apparently one of the Hamas um, terrorists had dropped his uh, GoPro camera from his head. And, the, and an Israeli soldier had found it. And when the Israeli soldier was talking to Anderson Cooper, he said, oh, well, here are some terrible videos of things that happen. And Anderson Cooper's um, cameraman was videoing over his shoulder the camera that this soldier was showing. And um, one of the videos is of Hirsch getting on the truck. And you hear Anderson Cooper actually say on the original video that he sent to us, Jesus Christ, he has no hand. Um, so it did show us that Hirsch was able to walk on his own. He wasn't dragged, you know, it was by gunpoint, but it gave us a little bit more of how he was. I mean, I think he was completely in shock and dazed and, you know, traumatized, obviously, from just having been in a room where most of the people were dead in hor horrific ways, you know, blown apart, body parts everywhere. Not to mention, you know, his close childhood friend who he had gone with, who was blown to bits. Um, and I might add that uh, when Honor's family got his body, the burial society uh, showed them that he had in his hand one last uh, grenade that, uh, you know, they killed him before he was able to throw it back out. Um, anyway. That was 27, I'm checking because I have it on my shirt. That was 27 days ago. And that's the last that we know. So we've been living in this alternate universe um, that I really wouldn't wish on anyone. 
not even the people who've done it to me. Um, it's, uh, you know, a twilight zone of <clears throat> vacillating between, you know, wanting to hope for the best and be optimistic and stay positive. <clears throat> and, you know, John and I turn to each other and say, do you think he died this morning? Did he die two weeks ago? Like, you know, just never knowing. And, <clears throat> and not having any idea when we will know something. Right. <clears throat> so that's where we are. Rachel, where do you get your strength from? So I don't know that it's strength. I think, um, you know, when the first eyewitnesses told us that his arm was blown off and he got up and he just walked out, there was something about that that I feel like, you know, my heart was blown out and I am just walking forward. Um, I think that, that thank God we were created with um, sort of our psychology allows us to walk forward when we're in what seems like insurmountable agony. Yeah. Um, and I also am a person of faith. Um, I pray every morning. I've prayed every morning for years. Um, I also love Psalms. Um, I have a book of Psalms that's with me all day long that, you know, I open up. I think it's such a great self-help book and it's such an honest book. Yeah. You know, it's not just because there are times when you really feel like saying hallelujah. And there are times where you want to say, like, I'm calling out to you from the depths. Yeah. And it's helpful. And it's been very helpful that people from around the world have told me that they're praying for him or that they're with us. And, um, you know, I always kind of wondered, you know, when I hear someone is sick or someone's going through something or someone's related to them has passed away, I'll, I'll send a one line text and I'll wonder to myself, does this help them? And it actually does. Now I know um, people reach out and they're not expecting an answer. They're just reaching out to reach out. And it helps carry us when our soul is buckling because sometimes it's just people say, I can't imagine what you're going through. And I always say, oh, I can't imagine what I'm going through. Right. So it's helpful just to, you know, have other people who I know that they, when they say to me, I feel like it's my son yeah. and that's helpful. There's something about it that's helpful. So um, I don't know that it's strength. I think we also just don't really have much of a choice. Right. And, and from the time we found out that he could be bleeding to death, it really lit a fire under us that we'll talk to anybody because those first 48 hours when we didn't know that, when we thought maybe he's dead in the camping ground somewhere, we were just obsessed with finding him. Yeah. You know, people were calling us from different media outlets and we said, we've no interest in talking. Like we're busy. We are, we are trying to find our son. As soon as we found out from these witnesses that he's been kidnapped and he might be bleeding to death. Then we started to speak to everyone because we need to get him home. now, Right. And, and, you know, there's also grandmothers there 
and there's a nine month old baby there. And there are people with type one diabetes there. And there are people who, you know, there's the, the, the list is endless and, and the people come from 33 different countries. This is not a Palestinian Israeli issue. This is 33 different countries. This is, we know that there, the religions of people who are being held captive right now are Jewish, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhists, just those are the ones we know. Right. This is an international humanitarian catastrophe that needs to be handled that way. The fact that they happen to be held in Gaza is unfortunate, but if this was being, if this was happening and it was in Boise, Idaho, it would still be an international humanitarian catastrophe that needed addressing. Um, And so that's sort of, you know, so much of our plea is, you know, scream, make some noise. And it's not even that hard. You know, you can really every morning wake up, call your senator and say, hi, it's day 27. And I noticed that the hostages are still being held captive because Americans don't like when Americans are being held captive in, in foreign places. Even if it wasn't a foreign place, if it was actually in Idaho, people wouldn't like that. So, um, you know, that's where we find ourselves. What's really interesting, Rachel, is that um, there's two really loud voices. It seems like there's the really loud voice against Israel, against the Jews, taking off that mask, realizing it's not about land. It's about that good old anti-Semitism that we know oh so well. And then there's this other voice, this new voice emerging, at least from what I've heard of, of standing with Israel and the Jewish people, unapologetically, boldly, and doing anything to help Israel and the Jewish people. I got an email uh, this morning from my friend Penny Nance, who's the head of Concerned Women of America. And they have a whole uh, uh, university section of their organization for students. And she said that she sent out an email to all of their students, thousands of Christian students, and said, join the rallies for Israel. And from all of them, she got back there are none. And she realized that the Jews on campus are terrified. They're not going to do these rallies. And so she said, okay, now is the time that we have to lead. We're going to lead rallies for Israel on these campuses, Christians, and hopefully the Jews will feel safer joining. And it's something we hear from the Holocaust that there were the the righteous Gentiles that have a wall and Yad Vashem have a forest, but they were relatively few. And today we see millions of people standing up for Israel to counter the anti-Semitism. From you, you've spoken at the United Nation, what's been called the Lion's Den. You've done interviews on every different television station in so many different countries. What's your feeling regarding the anti-Semitism, the Friends of Israel? Do you feel like we're alone? Do you feel like you have that support? Do you feel like people are against you? because your son was taken it, it it if it weren't so absurd you wouldn't you it's hard to believe what is it that you're feeling on both of those sides of the pro-israel anti-israel and what are you experiencing personally um <clears throat> so i'll say first about the anti-semitic and anti-israel voice um 
sadly, it doesn't surprise me at all. Not even one little teensy weensy bit. Even on the seventh, when they started saying there are children there, there are Holocaust survivors who are 85 years old being held there. I said, the world will hate us. It's still our fault. Yeah. You asked for it. I mean, it was, I even said that to someone who, um, when, um, when I was in university, I worked on a rape crisis and sexual assault hotline. And I said, you know, we were never trained to say when like people would call in trauma and say like, it's your fault. (laughs) But that was what was happening on the seventh. So I kind of feel like, I mean, I think it's, it sounds very pessimistic and, and kind of negative, but it's my, my world experience is that we are often hated. And so I, that didn't surprise me. Um, the people who have stood up with us, especially the Christian community, I have always had such admiration and applaud them. I, I, I kind of looked at it as, you know, during the civil rights movement, in the beginning of the civil rights movement, when black people were trying to fight for their rights, the truth is they really couldn't a lot because there was such terrible racism and lynchings and, you know, actual life and death, you know, threat, threatening situations that that community relied on other communities to help spearhead that movement, that civil rights movement. And I feel like that's what's happening on campuses now is that what I'm hearing is such horrible, violent, scary things are happening to Jewish students that although they want their voice heard, they cannot do it alone. They absolutely cannot do it alone. And if our Christian friends and you know partners have that voice and have that safe place to come from and can do that with us, I think that that's like the most beautiful example of being a righteous Gentile, which you mentioned. And I actually had spoken uh, the other day to another Christian friend who I was saying, there's a wonderful quote at the Holocaust Museum here in Jerusalem. A righteous Gentile was asked, how did you have the courage to do what you did? Because we know that many of the the, um, Christian people during the time of the Holocaust, who did help Jews, ended up getting killed. Not just them. Their whole families got killed as punishment for doing the right thing. And this specific righteous Gentile said, I did it because I knew when I died, I didn't want to go in front of God and have God ask me, why were you like Cain? Uh, And when you didn't um, answer your brother's cries from uh, the ground, you know, how could you have been like that and not answered his cries? And where were you? And he said, like, I couldn't do that. And so, and I love that, that that was his answer of, if you are a true God-fearing person, how can you not do what you know is the right thing to do, even when it's scary, even when it requires courage? Um, Beautiful, beautiful. And it's such a lesson to all of us in so many situations. And in the situation of Hirsch, it's easy <laughs> to stand with him, a victim of this terror. It's it's something that to be able to do the little we can from the outside to me feels like 
the biggest honor to be able to be his voice while he's in captivity to make sure no one forgets, no one turns a blind eye. He's he's not able to speak for himself and that puts the obligation even more on us. And so Rachel, I'm wondering um, how can the listeners help you and your family and your efforts? How can they help to free Hirsch? I mean, it's a great question and it's one that we're, you know, we're trying in all different strategic ways, I think, to make it easy for people. First of all, we have a Bring Hirsch Home Facebook page that has and also Instagram and also Twitter. I know nothing about these things. I am old. Don't ask about those things. But there's a lot of information and very turnkey, helpful uh, ideas that are very doable. We want to make this easy. I mean, we're doing the hard work. We appreciate the communities that are doing work with us. And I do think that daily call or that daily quick text or email, one line, you know, this isn't a whole like, let's get a letter campaign. You don't need a stamp. You don't need an envelope. But we know people already for two weeks now who every morning they wake up and while they're boiling their water for their coffee, they pick up the phone. And they call their senator. And we have on the Bring Hirsch Home page your senator's phone number, um, or if you want to text them or whatever it is, it's annoying for them. And annoying things make things happen. Right. You know, it's, I likened it to when you go camping or you're at like some, you're really tired or you're at a hotel and you're about to fall asleep. And then there's that mosquito that comes by and ruins your life. We want you to be the mosquito that goes to your senators and your elected officials and ruins their life in the way of a momentary, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable that this American young man without an arm is sitting in captivity along with other Americans, not to mention 239 people because we want them all released, obviously. I mean, I'm, you know, closest to my son, but- We said yesterday, John, my husband, made some comment and said, even if Hirsch walks in in 10 minutes, we're not done with this until the last person is out. Amen. Amen. And so, you know, we are all responsible for this. And so if people can just make that part of their daily agenda, it is less than one minute to say it's day 27 and there are still hostages in Gaza. It is not okay. Have a nice day. And then next day. Hi, it's day 28, and there are still hostages being held in Gaza, and it is not okay. Have a nice day. And it's every single day. It's relentless. And I think it's just, you know, beyond important. Um, I also think, um, you know, in the Jewish tradition, um, we'll often say what, what commandment is more important than other commandments, and there's all different um, interpretations of what commandments, what mitzvah is the most important one, but the Rambam, Maimonides says that the most important commandment that we can ever fulfill is the commandment of freeing a captive. Yes. So we invite the entire world and the entire Christian world and Jewish world and Muslim world and Hindu world and human world to help participate in this greatest of mitzvot, this greatest of commandments of helping set these captives free. Um, so that, you know, would be something that I would just love for your community, your listeners to be part of. And you also appreciate 
the importance of being free from Egypt. We all have our own personal private Egypts that we wrestle with and we struggle with in life. You know, for some people, it's an emotion. Um, you know, some people struggle with depression or some people struggle with anxiety. Some people struggle with a vice. They struggle with, you know, is it smoking? Is it drinking? Like we all have our Egypt. We all have our own private Egypt. But right now, those 239 people are in actual Egypt. They are enslaved. They are in captivity. And we are begging for people to help get these people out. Rachel Goldberg, thank you so much for joining. The fellowship is here with you, with your family, with the families of all the captives. And we will not stop remembering them until the day that every single one of them are home. We will keep it on our agenda. We will keep it on our social media. We will keep it with our politicians and we'll keep it on our lips in prayer. So thank you for um, allowing me to get to know a little bit of your incredible son who sounds like he could be my son. I'm All sure listener sons he sounds like someone I would have been friends with 25 years ago someone who just wants to enjoy life to appreciate life spirituality turning to God friendship unity and now he's sitting in captivity in the Gaza Strip and that's not okay it will not be okay until the day he comes home so thank you Rachel for sharing her story with us we are praying for her we pray for your family, we pray for peace, and we're here to support you however we can. Thank you so much, amen, amen. And I can't wait until he's home and he will come on and he will do a podcast with you. And amen. I'm sure you will like him just as much as I do. Yes, yes, it's, it's a date and I can't wait. May it be so soon. Amen, amen. Thank you and thank your whole community. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you for listening to the Conversations with Yael podcast. If you like what you have heard, please check out my weekly podcast, Nourish Your Biblical Roots, that explores the Jewish roots of the Christian faith with inspirational and ancient teachings. You can also visit me at mybiblicalroots.org for more of my teachings, videos, blogs, and books. Follow me on Instagram at Yael underscore Eckstein or on Facebook at Yael Eckstein. Shalom and see you next month.